You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 35. everyone, I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and present a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dig into it talking about what works and what doesn't, kick around some ideas, try to fine-tune it into what Dave and I like to call... Literary, literary gold. gold. Yeah, we need to work on our timing. We do. That. <laughs> I'm always waiting for you, but uh, see, okay, and I'm waiting for you. See, I know, and and that's what. In a dance, up. we'd just be sitting there, standing in front of each other, saying, "Are you going to lead? No, I'll lead. No, you lead. No." Here we go. That's right. Well, I'm going to actually take the lead on this. We've got, we've got a couple of seconds before we roll into the the goodness of the show. Um, the episode actually has aired already many weeks ago, but. Uh, in, in our recording sequence, I just got done uh, interviewing Patrick Rothfuss. Oh, uh, man. Which Whoa. was fabulous. Just an amazing, amazing individual. Um, and uh, he actually said he wants to be on the show. Squee! Um, and that won't be till January because that's where we are. But um, <laughs> I, I wanted to, to let everybody know that he's doing something that's really freaking cool um uh, geek and sundry which is the whole uh, uh uh felicia day and will wheaton and uh the guild and all of these this this whole youtube uh channel of goodness uh has a uh patrick rothfuss is a part of this with a, a show called the storyboard and mm. what he's doing is the first tuesday of every month uh, on Google Plus, you can go to Google Hangouts and, and subscribe to Geek and Sundry, and they'll they'll let you know when this is happening. But at 8 p.m. Pacific time, first Tuesday of every month, he gathers four amazing authors and, of course, himself, uh, and they talk about some element of the writing craft. Uh, their first episode was on urban fantasy, and they had uh, Jim Butcher. They had um, oh, Diana Rowland on there. They had uh, Mary Robinette Cowell. Uh, on there, it was it was fabulous. Uh, and then uh, the second one was on character, and they had Amber Benson on there, and and several other just remarkable voices. And they they take an hour and they talk about the writing craft. That's awesome. Yeah, and I cannot yeah. recommend it enough. the 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 old episodes are archived on YouTube, but being there live uh, would just be exciting as hell. So yes, um, so I'm I'm pimping that big time. Absolutely. So, and, and speaking of awesome, let us jete gracefully to Coolsville uh, and invite our, our guest host to join in the convo, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, uh, resuming his seat in the big overstuffed chair at the round table, the author of Empire State and the still recently released uh, Seven Wonders. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back. Mr. Adam Christopher. Adam, thank you, man, for rejoining us and helping us uh, workshop a tale today. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, so, Adam, I know you've got, what, you've got, you've got three or four more books in the works, sequels to, to yeah. Empire State, you've got space operas, you've got conventions. Please regale us in the wonders of, of the life of Adam Christopher. What's coming up for you uh, in the coming oh. months and years? Okay, so let me think. Uh, so Empire State came out beginning of this year, and then Seven Wonders came out in September. Uh, next up is uh, The Age Atomic, which is a sequel to Empire State. Um, that's coming from Angry Robot in May 2013. 
and that jumps ahead 18 years, right? Uh, 18 months. 18 months. Oh, better. Okay. Awesome. 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 Yeah. So it's like, it's a sequel, but it's also a standalone. So, um, it's not just one story kind of continuing. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a new thing. It's a kind of, uh, 50s sci-fi as opposed to the kind of 30s detective stuff of the first book. Okay. Um, and then, so that's May 2013. And then I'm not sure which is going to come first, but I've got another book with Angry Robot called Hang Wire, which is an urban fantasy set in modern day San Francisco um, about a serial killer called the Hang Wire Killer who uh, strings his victim up, his victims up with a tightrope cable from a circus. Um, the circus, which has arrived in town, uh, is a sentient circus that has started talking to the ringmaster. Oh my! <laughs> oh my! <laughs> there are, there, there's, there's a and uh, <clears throat> there's ancient gods walking the city, uh, searching for a power which a one of their kind, one of their dying brethren, uh, has hidden in Chinatown. Um, so that's coming out 2014. Wow, that sounds fabulous! Um, yeah, that's going to be really. I'm excited about that book already, although it's so far away, but it's, it's written and done and it's going to be really cool. Um, and also 2014 is my first book with Tor. Congratulations. Um, that's so awesome. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. I say, I say, oh yeah, Tor, but you know, Tor, my God. Tor. Yeah. <laughs> Tor. Speaking <laughs> so of gods. A, yeah. It's a, it's a dark, we call it a dark space opera. If that's mm. even the genre. Uh, it's called Shadows Call although the title may change. Um, but it's about a guy, uh, it's kind of set in the future where, where humankind, humanity has turned into this big industrial military complex called the fleet. And there's a war hero, saves the planet, and then is exiled to this derelict space station in the middle of nowhere um, to kind of rot, basically. Um, and kind of weird things go on in the space station. It's kind of like a, a haunted house in space. You finally get to tell a ghost yeah, story. <laughs> all the trappings of a traditional ghost story, but on a space station. Uh, and he finds out there's a, the fleet has a hidden secret, and um, he, he has to save the day with the help of a, a dead cosmonaut and, a, um, a, as, my, as the blurb says, a sexy but troubled asteroid miner. <laughs> um, <laughs> so and, and what dark space opera would be complete with a sexy but troubled... Exactly. Space I think minor. sexy but troubled needs to be on a t-shirt somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Now, Adam, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, hadn't you heard that authors are supposed to stick to one genre? <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least change their name in between. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm amazed and, and, and delighted at, at the, the broad canvas that you, that you embrace with your writing. Uh, that's the approach that I take is that I want to write. The, I want to write. A, if I have a story idea that I want to write and it needs to be told, then that is the thing that I'll write. And uh, if it's yeah, everything that I write has kind of speculative element of of some kind, sure, uh, it's genre fiction. Um, but if it's an urban fantasy or if it's a superhero story or if it's a science fiction, then so be it. Um, it's interesting. Angry Robot, I was quite lucky because they have the kind of flexibility where you can do that kind of thing because Angry Robot, uh, they're, they're not afraid of cross-genre work. They're not oh, afraid yeah. of, of jumping around. Uh, someone like Tor, obviously Tor is one of the largest science fiction publishers in the world. Um, so 
that's kind of my first foray into into science fiction, science fiction, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of space opera thing. And certainly more books for Tor, um, some of the characters from Shadow's Call kind of have, a, have their continuing adventures in the universe. So it's definitely a more uh, uh, sticking, sticking within the boundaries of, of one kind of genre. Okay. Um, but having said that, I've got um, a crime novel. I've got a sort of more mainstream thriller that I'm working on. Um, with speculative elements, but of course, but um, yeah, I just I just write. I write what I have to write. There you go. What so about uh, conventions? Any any? Uh, I know you just got back from uh, got back from being one yeah. of the angry robots of Worldcon. Yes. Yeah, that was uh, the most fun I've had <laughs> at a convention. <laughs> um, uh, I've got FantasyCon coming up, but I think by the time this goes out, that will have been that's in the UK. Uh, I think next year I'm going to hit Worldcon again in San Antonio. Okay. Uh, and then there's World Fantasy, which is in Brighton. Yeah. In next year. Yep. Um, so that'll be good. And then I'm going to see if I can go to a couple of more things. Um, because the tour book is coming out in early 2014, um, maybe something like the New York Comic Con would make sense. But there you go. That's, that's still kind of in the planning stages. Awesome. Well, keep sure. us keep us in the loop. We'll make sure all of that stuff gets into the liner notes, uh, uh, and as new stuff rolls around, just drop us a line. We'll we'll keep plunking new stuff in there, uh, because the internet is forever. Uh, <laughs> we can just keep editing stuff, and it'll be awesome. So, uh, excellent, Adam. Thank you. Now, gents, what I'm going to propose is that we pause here briefly uh, to give some precious airtime uh, to another awesome podcast or titillating ebook. Uh, but, uh, uh, after we do that, uh, we can roll in and I don't know, workshop a story. How about, how about it? Brilliant. Oh, he likes the idea. <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> Excellent. Well, friends do stay tuned. We will be right back. You wrote a book or you're writing a book and you've decided to walk the path of the self-published author. Now what? You need indie author marketing info. That's what. IndieAuthorMarketing.info is the new community from MWS Media and creator Matthew Wayne Selznick, where indie authors and service providers learn from each other. Join for free at IndieAuthorMarketing.info, and we'll see you there. And we're back, lords and ladies, and gearing up for another epic workshop. Squee, and, lords uh, and ladies, order, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> in order to uh, to do that, we need a writer. Absolutely. The the Roundtable podcast is nothing without the, the brave, courageous, and creative writers who, who step up and offer up their stories for discussion and scrutiny awesome. and awesomeness. Okay. Uh, uh, and today, Brian, um, our guest writer is a cross between Orson Welles and Gary Gygax. Ooh, oh him. yeah, oh yeah. He is a film school graduate with a focus on screenwriting, which explains his eye for a well-structured tale. And uh, he's been running role-playing games since he was nine, which pretty much ensures <laughs> his place in all of our hearts, I think. Definitely. So, um, he's written for Alderac Entertainment Group for their 7th C and Stargate RPG lines. Uh, <laughs> the last Gen Con, he ran tabletop and LARP events for 22 of the first 36 hours of that convention. Convention. This man. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. He's committed, dedicated, or should be, anyway. Um, <clears throat> uh, his love for Shakespeare was first kindled at a Renaissance festival and has been in professional productions of Hamlet and Tempest. Again, the acting vibe, which seems to always recur. 
currently involved in a production of Macbeth, which has sparked a short story idea called Master of Tiger, which he's not workshopping today, but maybe we can get him back and he can workshop that too, uh, oh, where the weird sisters come and try to control the political events of modern times. And <laughs> he's a gentleman who I have been pleased and proud to call a good friend for many years. Ladies and gentlemen, to the writer's chair, we beckon to him, Mr. James Silverstein. James, it's never easy to step up, man, but we are so grateful that you did. Thank you. Yes, we are. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, uh, James, it seems like you've, you've been infected uh, uh, by not only the gaming bug, but the storytelling bug for, for a long time. Any idea where that comes from? Um, I can't really put a specific time or place on it, but I do know that for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to share stories with other people. And when I learned that people actually kind of liked the stories I had to tell, well, you know, I had to either act or write or game master, or I just had to get them out of my head and out into the world. Excellent. So, so this is like therapy for you. Um, yeah, you could call it. <laughs> well, then, then let us lay you upon the couch here at the round table. And, uh, you, you brought a story to, to get out of your head and into the world. Yes, I did. I did indeed. That's good. Someday somebody's going to say no. And this is going to be a very short episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I didn't bring anything. What are Yay? you talking about? Oh, crap. Well, here's the deal, James. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. Tell us the title, the genre, the format. Is it going to be a novel, a short story, a series, whatever? Um, introduce us to the world and to the characters. Give us some some basic signposts for the story, and we will take it from there. So the mic is all yours, my friend. All right. Um, the novel is The Dark Backwards. It's a supernatural mystery novel about memory and views of reality and what happens when you can't trust either. Uh, the story world seems as our own, but mystical conspiracies and the undead exist under the surface. Our main protagonist is David Mundy. He's missing seven weeks from his memory and uh, has post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, he runs a conspiracy theory website that he himself doesn't believe in. He believes he wants to just move on with his life. Uh, unfortunately, he has one thing he can't just let go of. He had a whirlwind romance with a woman named Lisa who died while he was missing, and he doesn't remember anything about her. Uh, David lives in what he calls the apartment of the damned, a halfway house for people with psychological disabilities. The other protagonist is Jen. When she meets David, Jen says she's a therapist. In truth, she's actually a mage who has come to the city to look for her sister, the aforementioned Lisa. The main antagonist is Peter, who is David's therapist. He's keeping David under observation as he's part of the conspiracy that cost David his memory in the first place. The story goes like this. Uh, act one, um, David is coming home from therapy and during his trip gets a migraine. Outside the train he's on, he sees a woman that looks like Lisa reading a Bible. His migraine blindsides him from following her. However, he tracks her down the next day and after convincing her he's not some sort of stalker, she introduces herself as Jen. She claims to have no idea who Lisa is. Despite his skepticism, David sets up an appointment with her as in her role as counselor. Returning home, David's roommate tells him that someone tried to break in their apartment. David later, later tells his own therapist, Peter, about this, and in the conversation, Peter suggests that Jen might be a good way for David to continue the process of moving on with his life. He does, however, ask to be kept informed of what occurs. 
Uh, David later meets with Jen. She's concerned about what she hears about when he details his therapy and introduces something mystical to the mix. Uh, David attempts the ritual exercise and regains a violent lost memory. He wants to try more, but Jen says that performing rituals too quickly might overwhelm him. Uh, David goes home and feels like he's being stalked. When he arrives, his roommate hurls anger at him for ratting him out to their therapist, who has now upped the dosage of medication his roommate must take. David begins to wonder how much of Peter's therapy is actually helpful and how much is to keep David under control. Act 2. The next day, David begins to feel a subtle terror dogging him. When he heads to Jen's place, he finds Jen being attacked by magically active ghouls. In the ensuing battle, Jen flees, the building is destroyed, and David ends up with Jen's Bible, which he finds has blank pages in it. In the aftermath, he's questioned by police, but knowing how unreliable he'll sound, he claims he saw nothing. The interrogation continues, and the stress makes David start hallucinating. He begins to panic until Peter shows up and takes him into custody. That night, David has disturbing nightmares. He's awakened by Jen breaking into his apartment. She tells him that she knows how to restore his memory, but in exchange, she asks for help to find her missing sister, Lisa. They head to an abandoned building where Jen explains that someone tampered with David's memory and that he was part of a project intended to implant mystical knowledge instantly. She then explains that magic is like any other mental skill set. It takes study and long practice. It also comes at a price. The more skilled one becomes at magic and the more regularly one uses it, the more one loses one's sanity. She then shows that the meditative exercises she was teaching David are the most basic lessons of magic. The explanation is interrupted as a pack of ghouls show up. They demand information that David and Jen don't have. David ends up channeling energy that destroys the ghouls. Jen panics, assuming that he must actually be a mole from the project. She retreats and uses her magics to make sure David can't follow. Frustrated, David heads back home with the intention of packing it all up and just fleeing. On the way home, Peter calls him, and David accuses Peter of sabotaging his life. Peter tries to calm him down and mentions some odd phrases in the conversation. The scene jumps forward an hour. David realizes that he's missing time in his mind. He's at his apartment. He's covered in blood. The police are breaking down the door, and his roommate is dead in the kitchen. Act 3 opens 24 hours later. David is in a mental institution. Peter explains that he's mounting an insanity defense. He also asks what David remembers and gets angry when David resists talking about Jen. Peter threatens intentionally tanking the legal defense unless David is cooperative and then leaves. David spends a drug day in the institution trying to separate delusion from reality and finds that he can do so when he concentrates on the ritual. Memories resurface, letting him realize that the migraines come when he's close to the project's base. He escapes that night using his magic and heads in that direction, finding the base by following what makes the migraines worse. Once there, he fights against the migraine with the ritual and plans in going in with his magics, but the PTSD starts kicking in hard as he begins to remember other things from his missing time. He was experimented on brutally, but in the end there was some sort of riot, and the ghouls kept as test subjects, created chaos and distraction that allowed David to escape. David finds that Jen is infiltrating the base as well, and when he intercepts her, they hear Peter's voice in the compound. He explains that the base is only one of dozens, and that the riots there left the project data destroyed. Peter was a cleanup agent sent to shut everything down, but when he found that David was still alive, he placed himself as a therapist to try to unlock David's memories and figure out if the project had borne fruit. David realizes that the Bible was Jen's spellbook and that the project was successful, allowing him to simply absorb the knowledge within, leaving blank pages behind. 
Peter then says he can either give up the location of Lisa, who still lives and was also part of the project, or he can unleash stronger mental conditioning to make David kill Jen, then go kill Lisa, then forget it ever happened. Jen and David call Peter's bluff, but know that in order to defeat him, they'll need to use magics that might tip them over into insanity. They fight on and defeat him, coming out seemingly unscathed. To avoid interrogation, Peter speaks a phrase and completely wipes his own memory. With no more leads, and with David now a fugitive, Jen and David decide to try to find where the other bases are. Heading back to the apartment, David realizes one of his surfacing memories was a code for his website. Using it, he figures out that during the project, he was keeping notes as to everything he learned. It's all hidden beneath the lies of the site. Armed with this information, Jen, who is now acting considerably more twitchy, promises to help David as much as she can while her sanity remains, and the two head out into the night to continue seeking the hidden truth of the world. Dun, dun, dun. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Well done, Master Silverstein. Very cool. Let me let me ask you before we dive into this. Um, James, what are you hoping to get out of this conversation? Um I I've been having some uh I've been having two problems. Uh one is I feel that my characters aren't fleshed out enough, especially the antagonist. And I'm wondering if the climax is a little too info dumpy. I'd rather have um I'd rather have the characters find things out than be told things. If sure, sure. Okay, excellent. I think we can help. In fact, I know we can because <laughs> oh, yeah. we're the round table. Um, but before we can do that, we must cover our ass. So, Brian, would you be so kind? Absolutely. So, Master James, in the process of what we do here, you're going to hear a lot of advice and a lot of ideas and especially what-ifs because that's our favorite thing um, from myself and Dave and from Adam. And as you are the writer and this is your story, you have every right to throw out anything that we have to say as complete and total bullshit. You also have the right to use any of it. Absolutely. And, and of course, acknowledge us in your forward and you know, yes. declare us as boon companions. So, Absolutely. Right. Cool Abs with that? Absolutely, sir. Excellent. Then let us, let us commence. Uh, let us begin. And as is our custom, Adam, uh, we always lead off with our, our guest host for opening comments and observations, questions of clarification, uh, anything to, that, that might help uh, uh, give everybody a better idea of what's going on. And so lead us off with this. Uh, what, do you, what are your first impressions of James's story idea? And uh, uh, start off this discussion, sir. Uh, right. Okay. Um, I think it sounds um, amazing, actually. <laughs> I, I have a thing for urban fantasy. And the thing that struck me immediately about the story idea was... Um, the amount of mystery that you can inject into it right from the beginning. I mean, the central concept of this guy who then who wakes up um, with how 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 long was his memory loss? I don't recall. It was uh, he has he has seven weeks missing. From seven weeks, right? Okay. Um, so immediately you've got you've got the, the the jumping off point. He needs to find out what's happened in the in the previous seven weeks and um, what happened to this person he was involved with, who's apparently now dead. Um, I mean that that is you know, that kind of mystery uh, where the reader wants to follow along with the main character as they uncover the things is, is like the strongest hook you can have in the story. So I'm like, I really really want to read the book. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Any any questions or clarifications that you need? Um, I'm curious, and you just need to refresh my memory. Uh, he he wakes up in the apartment of the. Did he call it Apartment of the Damned? 
Yes. Or doomed? doomed? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so he actually starts off there. That's yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Um, I'm just curious. There has to be this kind of balance, I think, between him investigating stuff for himself and then getting help from someone else. Um, so the, the gen that he meets and the other characters... My only question at this stage, and it's probably just irrelevant, is, is how much we have of him kind of trying to figure this thing out. Well, establishing the mystery and then figuring out, trying to figure out what's going on on his own before he then meets other people and gets help. If he's already starting in this um, halfway house for people with that kind of problem, I don't know if that's the most effective starting point. But having said that, um, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's 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 you know, just right there. You just sparked an idea for me, but I'm because I'm, I'm just gonna... well, because I'm just struck. I had this sort of image: um, this guy waking up. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a new idea, and it's been done very effectively in other films and books and stuff, which is absolutely fine because there's no new idea. But this, the kind of the solo adventurer uh, protagonist uh, fighting against his circumstances at the beginning on his own against the world, and then yeah. he gets help from the mysterious others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is just my, my question, is, is that kind of time frame. There may not be scope in the story to have this kind of one-man one investigation. Um, I love the fact that he, he runs a conspiracy website, which he doesn't believe in. That captured my imagination, yeah, too. Yeah, that is like, there's a, there's a character in there, which is brilliant. Yep. Yeah. But the fact that you have seeded this, uh, you've seeded the conspiracy website, and it then becomes a kind of, linchpin of the story later on yes um, yeah. i think it's very yeah. it's very strong yep very good yep that's a, that's a nice device i, I think Absolutely. that works very well okay yeah. brian your first impression sir okay so of course i'm going to go straight to the antagonist of course you are of course. um <clears throat> okay so what the the impression that i got of peter is that he he doesn't see and, and i think that you said something about um that he is put in charge of getting this information or finding out if the project worked or, or something to that, to that point. And so I get the feeling that he is being controlled yes. or has to report to someone else. And yes. um, so I, I, I think for me, I would like to see um, instances where he, is, he has to check in and whatever this this other darker, deadlier entity or whatever that he reports to is, that that there is a sense of failure on his part is not an option. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and that he's he's taking this kind this interesting track where he's you know oh I I'll be your therapist, um, which seems to be one that kind of it. it I don't know if it draws out the timeline or the time frame of getting the information, but it may not be the way that that whoever his higher up or or the person who's pulling his strings um, would have gone about it. And so maybe there are instances in which uh, he's reporting back and it just isn't happening fast enough and that it it causes Peter distress because I think the more distress that he has and the more that that it's, um, you know, I can do this my way but he's he's battling with this other you know the, this other higher up um and and facing annihilation if he fails well, um, I really like that I really yeah, yeah and and it'll kind of up the you know it, it'll it'll put time on the clock um and, this is, and start yeah. that clock running you know that's just what I was thinking is that um uh the whole thing is about losing time and and trying to find out what's happened to it if there is a, if everything becomes time sensitive 
for all the characters. Um, then, as you're kind of racing towards the conclusion, as he begins to lose more time, it kind of makes it even more desperate. Mm-hmm, uh, right. But from both sides as well, you're talking about, you know, uh, Peter is on the deadline as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I dig that. Brian, anything else? Um, well, I, I had a question, and I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but does, um, does David know that he has magic before he meets Jen? No, no. Okay, so that's something that through his experiences with her, he's it's for sort of fostered, and it's yes, um, that's sort what of they a were doing of to him during those, the magic. That's what they yeah. were doing to him during those seven weeks, right? They were infusing okay, right. him with his magic ability, right? right. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, cool. I love that. And yes. I've all, anytime that somebody, so like in Dark City, when he discovers that he's a badass, and then you just have this, you know. So, so I'm I'm really looking forward to there being a moment in this where he sort of like accepts it and comes into his power and just becomes this this you know un, just a, a badass <laughs> for lack of a better word way for of the describing term. It. absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. And, so and that's I, i'm excited about that yeah because that's the first brian you 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 touched on it exactly dark city is very much how i'm feeling about this whole story I'm getting yeah. a strong vibe to that not certainly not city floating in space spoiler alert sorry if you haven't seen the movie um <laughs> but uh uh i I've, I've got some i've got some i have some detailed questions but my most important question i think is what's going on um uh the the magic aspect of things um this this sounds almost chthonic uh in its origins where if you use it it makes you crazy um, mm-hmm. are, is, is there a society of mages out there? You say Jen is a mage, so she's gone through this. Is she a part of a larger organization or is she a rogue soloist? Are there organizations out there? What is the purpose of magic? Where does it come from? And I don't want to turn this into a whole big world building, uh, 20 minutes of talking about magic, but I just want to, do you have a sense of what that is, James? Um, at a, at a very basic level, I do. When I first started, uh, putting this together, um, I had, I literally had written down all these, uh, fantasy tropes about magic that I didn't like Okay, and, and decided, okay, how do I make a magic system that isn't like any of this? And, um, and so I have a very basic idea of it. I actually did some pre-writing where, uh, Jen is, where Jen has this scene that she's talking to the person who taught her magic. And so there, there are other people out there and other organizations but they're not fully fleshed out yet okay okay that might be that might be gentlemen as we continue this discussion uh uh, keep that in the background and just because it seems like there's a there's a larger story beyond just the fact that there's other uh installations out there where they're doing these nefarious conspiracy things to people um that that might lend or add depth or or urgency as if we don't have enough um to the story uh one specific question i had was the ghouls Mm -hmm. um it it seems like uh, initially they're servants of of peter and the conspiracy because they're 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 pursuing uh, uh, David and they're questioning him for information. Um, but then later on, we discover that they're the ones that, that tore apart the, uh, the installation in the first place that caused Peter to be there. What, what's the ghoul's story? Okay. Uh, once again, we, we go back to when I first started writing this, um, this whole thing started when, uh, I, I was reading about, um, what happens to people's memories as they grow older 
and uh, and the inability the 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 eventual inability uh, or difficulty with creating new memories. And I started thinking to myself, well, what would happen if you were immortal and uh, you lived for hundreds and thousands of years and you just stopped being able to create new memories? And that's kind of where the basis of the story came from. And when I was writing that, I thought, well, do it with vampires. Um, you know, what happens when a vampire gets so old that they can't make memories anymore? And, um, and then I, then it all transformed into this. And I realized that honestly, vampires are a little cliche, <laughs> but, um, so I turned them into ghouls and they are these exceedingly long lived beings that have both mystical abilities and odd ways of making their memories work. And that's why they were sort of the test subjects of the conspiracy to figure out how to transfer memories, how to alter memories, that sort of thing. So they're the the battle with Jen and and later on when they burst in and and, and start interrogating them, asking them for information, is that for their own use or is yes. that at the behest of Peter? No, no, they 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 are they are a third faction. As okay, a, okay, it, then that's yeah. something that we need to we need to flesh out a little bit too in terms of okay. their motivations and their role to play in the story. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, and uh, Lisa uh, apparently has died, David's love, during these seven weeks. How does he know this? How does he discover this information? Um, I, have a, I have a couple of scenes uh, towards the beginning where he's, like, trying to find out more about himself. And one of the things that gets revealed is that um, some people who knew him when he first moved to the city knew he had this girlfriend and uh, then he disappeared, and when he comes back, they tell him, oh, yeah, you know, when that, that girl you knew died. And uh, it's, it's essentially, you know, the, 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 uh, the project was destroyed from within, and Lisa, who was actually part of the project, uh, got her death faked so that uh, she could move on to other things. Okay, okay. Um, cool, awesome. Uh, obviously more to discuss. I'm, I'm definitely curious more about Jen's backstory, um, and, and, uh, things along those lines. One thing, two things I'm going to throw out one, uh, a halfway house for mentally disturbed people and magic makes you insane. Do you see a connection here? Yes, that's sort of intentional. Okay, so so all of these guys in this half, maybe not all of them, but many of them in the halfway house, uh, uh, they they might be mages who have just gone way too far down the road. Uh, yes, which could lead could be a source of information uh, and uh, illumination for David as he ex starts exploring uh, uh, the, his seven weeks of absence and, and cryptic things and all of that wonderful stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that struck me, uh, uh, again, latching on to Adam's fixation on the, the conspiracy website, which I agree is fabulous. Yes. Um, yeah. what if, what if David wakes up his, his, and he's asleep at the keyboard and the computer is saving something? Oh yeah. Like that. And, and you know, it's whatever, whatever his la latest notes were, you know, the final critical thing and it's saving and you know, something happens. He stops it. He interrupts it. He gets a fragment of information, uh, that makes Absolutely no sense, but provides clues that launch him into this investigative mode. I like that. So, okay, those are my first thoughts and questions. Back to you, Adam. Uh, what what can we what can we do with with Jen or the ghouls or anything? Uh, let, let's play. I was actually just wondering. Um, 
why did they, maybe I missed this, but why did they do this to David in the first place? Good question. Why, I mean, he was being inducted into this kind of project nefariously, uh, but for what purpose? Um, you mean, why, why him specifically? Why, well, why him specifically, and why do it to anybody anyway? Yeah. Um, well, uh, the, the why anyone is that um, in order to sort of arm humanity against the ghouls, um, they want to figure out if there's a way to just give people magic instead of having them learn it, because learning drives you crazy. Right. Um, as to why David, I don't know. I, I haven't come up with a specific reason for that yet. Because I guess the problem with uh, trying to sort of focus too heavily on why David specifically is that you get into this kind of chosen one um, situation. Yeah, which is and kind I, of I really bit... don't. I really didn't want that. Yeah, I don't yeah. like chosen one. Because you kind of you you actually you get that already because you have a character called David who was part of this project that in itself makes him the chosen one of your story. Um, mm, but. True. Um, but I mean that's the whole that's the whole point. But um, going back to the whole thing of like this urgency, if there is suddenly a an approaching, not quite a deadline, but if there's a if there's an event approaching that, so Peter is on a timeline, uh, Jen's on a timeline, everyone's on a timeline. Um, having that kind of you know, the, whole, the whole thing of of creating people that well, not creating people, but but imbuing people with magical powers. Directly without having learned them, because something is coming. A gives war. You a, gives a you war a, is yeah, coming. it gives you this driving force, um, and that is would be related to uh, fighting the ghouls. Well, yeah, yeah. actually, uh, when when I was first writing my notes for this, I had the ghouls have sort of a a leader figure who is highly uh, misanthropic and just wants to wipe out humanity. So. I can bring that back in as a, you know, he's about to do something really, really horrible or what have yeah. you. Yeah. I think that just it, just, it just drives the story to have that kind of, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of thing. Well, what if, what if yeah. uh, uh, the only people, you know, let's say they've been doing these experiments for a while and what if they found that people who are actually descended of a ghoul's bloodline are the only ones that can receive this treatment with any degree of success. Hmm. Interesting. So, you know, and these, I mean, these ghouls come from somewhere, they're incredibly long lived, but at some point in time, they must have been human. Right. And right. so by tracing that lineage back and then following it back forward again, which would give the, the conspiracy people tons, thousands of people to, to serve as, as test subjects. Yes. Um, what I'm curious about is why, why do it against their will? Or or did or did they? Did David volunteer for this? That's that's sort of one of the things I wanted I I impl I wanted to sort of leave as that's uh, a mystery portion of it because Peter insists that David did it by choice. Um but uh David has memories of it being this horrible experience that he was trying to escape from. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah. just going to throw this out there, and then Brian, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. But at yeah. some point, at some point in the story, um, uh, uh, if, if we go with the the whole bloodline of the ghouls is the best choice for the magic thing, then one of these ghouls needs to be related to David. Oh God, yes, and and oh, yeah. and tempt David with you know screw magic, I will make you immortal. 
I will make you one of us, David. Come to my side. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. and I just put that out there. Brian, what you that's got, actually, bud? That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I have a few things. One, um, when, Dave, when you were talking about he wakes up and there's something being saved. Yeah. Um, what if it's being deleted? Ooh, better. Because <laughs> he's waking up and suddenly has this loss of memory. Uh, I'm assuming that's when he was waking up. Is that kind of what you were getting at? Yeah. Dave? Yeah. And so if he has this loss of memory and he's waking up at his computer and something's being deleted, as opposed to he was just saving something, because then the timeline for me doesn't quite work. But if something's being deleted, then it's a frantic, what the hell you know, is being deleted and, you know, and then you can go from there. But yeah. so that was just a thought. And then another thought that I had is, and, and maybe this is kind of where everybody's going anyway, but, um, and I know that you want to stay away from the chosen one aspect, but what if David is not in any way negatively affected by the use of magic? So he has no risk of going insane and mm-hmm. he's the only one so far. And that makes him extremely valuable to everyone. It makes him valuable to Jen. It makes him valuable to... Peter, so it's not just a matter of did it work, but it not only worked, but now we've armed humanity with this magic that that isn't going to destroy them as well, if we can figure out what it is about David that that is special huh. yeah, or different. And then you yeah, can tie that into the ghoul bloodline, you know? Yeah, yeah. I've actually, that made me think of something. If, um, I mean, this is a what if. Yeah. A what if sure. um, uh, we find out that David Okay, he's not affected by magic and that he can't, he won't go insane. He's the only person that this has actually worked for. Uh, realizing what they were going to do and what they were going to use him for, he actually he wiped his own memory uh, to kind of to kind of I don't know protect himself, protect protect yeah. uh, Lisa, protect someone else. Um, the thing that you didn't get is you go back to the he's been missing the seven weeks of time and now he's trying to work it out. He's actually unraveling his own past or his yeah. own, he's unraveling his own actions. Right. He gets right. to the point where he, he finds out what's happened and all this kind of stuff, which is, has, has undone his work of oh. hiding his memories. Right. Uh, right. You then get this kind of, it's not, not, I wouldn't say tragedy, but this kind of holy crap, he's, he's undone everything. Yeah. Um, and then, the, and you kind of the story shifts. Right yeah. now, the the stakes have changed. He's gone. Holy crap! This is what I was, was going to become. This is what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and that, and now that, I'm heading in that direction again. Yeah. And it puts by my balance, own actions. Yeah. yeah. It put, yeah. By his own actions, he's unraveled that, and it's put the story a little bit towards the bad guys because they're now at a little advantage because well, he's gone and reset everything again. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, I like uh, that. I really okay. dig that. Yeah. James, what if David killed Lisa during that seven weeks? Oh God. What if during during one of you know, they're ramping him up, they're giving them both magic, and during one of the episodes, one of the, the training exercises to test their magic, he loses control and he actually does kill Lisa. Huh. That would uh, be well, a great could- reason to forget. Exactly, or he could think that he did. Yes, ooh, better. Yes. Because that's yes. why he's then got the guilt and, yeah. uh, and, and realization, and he wipes all those memories. Of course, as per the original story, she's not dead, but right. he doesn't know that. Right. Mm-hmm. right, Yes. What if when he kills her, he does it on purpose because she's not really good, but then in his memories or, or in trying to figure out his memories, he thinks that she's somebody that he was in love with. Ooh. Oh, she was a mole for the conspiracy trying to lure him right. in? And he, and he found it out and then thinks that he kills her. 
and that it needed to be done. But then when he wipes his own memories and then he starts putting the pieces together and people are telling him, oh, yeah, she was somebody that, that you were you know, desperately in love with at the beginning before all of that. And so now he thinks that somebody else killed her and he's trying to find her killer when all along it was him, even though she's not really dead. Now it's getting a little convoluted. But you get the idea. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And when he wakes up from his from the seven weeks of, of amnesia, you know, it's like a right. reset. So he feels those feelings. He knows he loves yep. her. Yeah. Yeah. And and so and you wants got to, to avenge her death almost. Right. And then you yeah. get the layered guilt of, oh my God, I killed her. And then you layer it again with, yeah, but she was one of them, dude. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you mentioned earlier, um, before we got into this track, about how he, <laughs> how, he, well, how he knows that Lisa's dead in the first place. Um, so this seven-week period, to all his friends and family and associates, was he basically away somewhere for seven weeks? Or yeah, was he... Um, uh, the, right. the, way, the way I had it uh, put together was that um, uh, sometime uh, in in those seven weeks, he actually moved to this area uh, because he was following Lisa. He had, he had met her and she wanted him to move out and be with her. And so he had moved out there. So that makes it so he doesn't have a lot of people who have known him very long or can fill in a lot of his own history. Right. So um, it's a kind of it's fight club idea where uh, in fight club, um, he starts to sort of, follow the breadcrumbs of where Tyler was going uh, right. and then it turns out it was he was following himself right um, just this kind of idea that uh, he wakes up something is being deleted on his computer and stuck next to the monitor as a Polaroid of him and, and Lisa mm-hmm. so he's like waking up doesn't know what's going on he sees the Polaroid going who the hell is she the computer has deleted something is deleting something um, that's that kind of instant shock for him yeah yeah uh, and also, going back to the thing with the, the computer deleting something, if he interrupts the deletion, you can then have fragments of whatever it was, which provides right. more mystery and more clues, because now he's got right. some incomplete bits and pieces. Um, like you were saying before, when it was going to be the computer was saving something, then uh, you can get like a fragment um, of what it was saving. But if it's deleting it, because he's, he's desperate to stop it deleting, um, you then yeah. get more clues like that. It's kind of just injecting more mystery um, but there's a there's a quite personally they're quite good ways of doing it I think yeah well yeah. And it, it's mm-hmm. like you do Adam with sure. your you know adding as much initially uh, uh, and then letting the weight of of all of those components in this case mystery components and elements letting them feed the 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 answers that we don't necessarily have yet uh, I think that's yeah. awesome mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I I cool. kind of picture him you know actually maybe like tied to the chair in front of the computer <laughs> uh, as a detail. So he has to get out, you know, he has to kick the, the computer over and unplug it uh, mm-hmm. to stop it from deleting and then free himself from this chair, which raises the question, who tied him to the chair? Because uh-huh. mm-hmm. it wasn't right. Peter. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there's something else going on. Maybe, oh God, yeah, let's complicate it just a little bit more, <laughs> shall we? Um, you know, maybe in this halfway house, there are mages that have connections to the ghouls. Uh, uh, and, and maybe the ghouls are also seeing David as someone valuable. Maybe, maybe he is descended of them. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Adam, that I, I don't necessarily want to see him become the chosen one because that kind of inflicts agency on the character rather than having him seize it and make it for himself. 
Right. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't think I don't think you you don't necessarily need to avoid the chosen one trope completely um, because we've already established that the reason why David is was the person is because he's the only one so far that has worked on. Right. It just so happens <clears throat> within the world of the story they've gone through two dozen people and driven them all insane uh, <clears throat> until they've reached him and we are now finding out about his story. That's what I was trying to say before about like he is the chosen one by virtue of the fact that he's the main character. Right. So I don't right. think there's any trouble kind of adding more stuff in. Okay. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Brian, what else yeah. you got, man? I know your I know okay, your brain okay. is seething over there. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I'm loving this. Okay. So here th- this would be stealing a little bit from from Jurassic Park, but I'm thinking about, you know, you have this project and maybe you have these people that are that are being held against their will. Um or not, but either way, you're you're giving them the opportunity to have these powers, and then how do you control them? And so in Jurassic Park, you know, if they they had this thing called the Lysine contingency, that like if they don't continue to give them a certain um, enzyme, then they all die, <laughs> and that might help with sort of the ticking clock. If he wakes up and it's you know seven weeks or whatever that he doesn't have his memory. And and Peter is sort of secretly giving him this thing. Then when he runs off with Jen and starts to feel weaker over time, you know, maybe there is a contingency with this project just in case they have somebody who goes rogue and starts, you know, setting fires all across the city. You know what I mean? Or yeah. or if if Peter's therapy is is I mean, obviously these whoever's the author of this conspiracy understands magic Mm -hmm. somebody somebody farther down the road you know maybe peter has magic you know Mm -hmm. maybe maybe i mean clearly they understand the bigger picture they understand that magic exists and they've studied it enough to to create some sort of technology that allows for the imbuing the altering on some level and that that's really hanging me up understanding you know, is that a genetic tweak? Is that a mental uh, conditioning? Is it is it some sort of spiritual infusionment? Yes, I just made An up that energy word. drain <laughs> of some kind. Yeah, yeah. whatever well, it is, it's it's yeah. unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, even in David, but he's the best bet so far. So mm-hmm. so maybe there's still the risk that he's not the chosen one. He's just the best chance they've had. Which right. means Peter's job is now that much more critical. It's not just cleanup, but holy crap, this guy is our best bet. And he runs away and and wipes his mind. It seems like he has an ally somewhere who's helping his higher self, his good self, do good things. Oh man, there's there's a thread there that I'm I'm that, that I'm teasing at, but I'm not sure about. Mm-hmm. But that but the Peter's therapy is keeping him sane. Yeah. And Jen's therapy, uh and Peter's therapy is just as mystical. Maybe it's a hypnotherapy kind of thing, you know, flashing lights, blah blah blah. I've been I've been watching uh, uh alphas a lot and apparently flashing lights have something to do with that. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um but um uh, and and then Jen's therapy is a very different kind of therapy. It's a purer, uh, not technologically augmented therapy. It's it's the pure magic, which is going to make him a little crazy. Um, but it's well, be- actually yeah, that's a good way of actually differentiating one side from the other as well. Because if you've got Jen 
which is a more traditional magic, uh, kind of natural type of thing. Uh, on the other side, because one of the things that struck me about the story is that it's almost like science fiction, except they're giving him magic powers instead of turning him into a kind of... Instead of superpowers. Yeah, instead of Captain America, uh, they're actually giving him magic powers. But it almost reminds me of a... They're doing it in a kind of technological way. Yeah, um, right. So a good way of kind of dividing one side from the other as well yeah. is to make one... Both, obviously, they're still mystical and still magical because this is... You know, urban fantasy, but one the kind of technical magic, <laughs> uh-huh. and the other that's kind of more natural. Right. Um, so you got. I mean, obviously, you've thought about how the, the magic system works anyway. Um, but it's kind of natural magic versus artificial magic. Yeah. Well, um, what's and what's what Adam? That's brilliant because what just struck me is that Jen and her people, those mages, have been fighting the ghouls for generations. Sure. So my thought then is that this conspiracy was a member of Jen's order and said, we're losing. We're losing this fight. We're going crazy. We're, our, our, our attrition rate is too high. We need to find a new way. There's this massive schism in the order, mm. and half the group goes over to this new technique, this technological wonder that's been evolved and, and developed, and that's how we're going to expand our ranks. So Jen now has a stake not only in David, but also in Peter and his... Right. His heresy, again, being a part of the heresy against the pure magic, that that doesn't work as well. Yeah, because you're you're making everything personal. Yeah, Uh, right. Also, that uh, that also brings in um, since Jen is Lisa's sister. If Lisa walked off to go be part of the conspiracy, that makes it much more personal. Oh yeah, damn, that's what we're talking. (laughs) Right there. Yes. Oh God, the backstory! Oh, as this un- as this unfolds, this is delicious. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. Cool. Cool. Okay. All right. We haven't solved everything. What else are we working on? <laughs> uh, the climax of the story. The climax of the story. Right. 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 Um. 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 Yeah. Having David and Jen walk into the facility and then Peter monologues. No, that's not. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. not down with that. Well, here, yeah. here's another problem that I think we we have to look at to to get to the climax is that what we've done essentially is um, minimize Peter's antagonism a little bit. Okay, because we've we've put a little bit more on Lisa, and Peter now is is a little uh, more benign. And so, who, where, where is this pressure coming from, and who is the the prime like the the real antagonist of this? I think it's the ghouls, isn't it? Well, yeah, to a point. I mean, they the the problem I have with making the ghouls the the major antagonist is that they're kind of. At the moment, they're kind of generic and faceless and personality-less. They're 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 the they're the mindless hordes, which I guess is okay uh, for for undead. But I'd rather have a villain that um, that that has a personality. Okay. Well, so is the, is Lisa the one that's pulling Peter's strings, or would that, that be taking could, it too far? I, I was actually just thinking about that. <laughs> well, that, can um. Maybe I'm just off on a little tangent, but can Peter be the ghoul that is connected to oh, David's bloodline? Dude. Ooh. Um, there oh, you go. man. But that's a re- this is a reveal for the end of the book. This is, the, this is when you have your, your, the climax. Right. Um, because I think, assuming, <laughs> assuming 
that everything <laughs> that we've just said makes it into the book. We've already seeded a lot of the backstory. So in terms of worrying about exposition at the end, that would probably be not, not be the case because uh, David is learning all this as he explores the seven weeks missing. By the time you get to the end, you've kind of got the big reveal left, yeah. um, which is you know this idea that if you've got the ghoul that is connected to David, make it Peter. Yeah. Um, and so and so. Oh God, that's Peter, gorgeous. Peter is still yes. Working, he's still working for for this other mysterious higher power, and he's still got someone that he's reporting to, who is impatient and. Uh, you know, Peter is not doing his job well enough, this kind of thing. But Peter, he's got two kinds of needs. He's got the need to do the job and to get it done on time. He's also got a personal need because he has a, con- a personal connection. Um, sounds like we're making everything like personal, 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 but that really is what what drives characters in, sure. in, yeah. in good stories. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and and that that got me thinking back, going going way back. Now, first of all, we're using the term ghouls, and and I think that tends to conjure images of zombies and and shambling mounds and and brainless things. What mm-hmm. if they're not? What if you know? Either either we we apply a different aesthetic to that name or come up with a different name. I think actually ghouls is a good way of throwing the reader off because they have this kind of. Uh, image that conjures up when you use the word, um, finding that Peter is a ghoul and he looks like a guy, it's a good way of hiding that from the reader. Right. I think right. even if you have ghouls, you can have, you, know, you can have different types of ghouls. You can have the shambling monsters. You can have the ones that are kind of like people. Like, you sure. Know, um, the kind of, I almost say vampire substitute kind of thing. Well, yeah. and, um, and that, that thought takes me back to going back to the origin of the ghouls and magic. You know, we, mm-hmm. we've talked about how the possibility that Jen's order has been battling the ghouls forever and that the conspiracy, the technological conspiracy is a heresy, a split, a division of, of philosophy, both towards the goal of fighting the ghouls, but it's a division. What if back at the beginning of time, the ghouls were a heresy against the original magic. What if when magic was really, really young, somebody came up with this other notion, this, I don't know, this drawing of, of life force, of, of, of something. And I don't want to make it that cliche, but what if the first ghouls were mages practicing a, 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 a bad form of magic, a, a form of magic that, that drove them so insane if they go far enough through the madness they mm-hmm. come out the other side and they're empowered with this this internal power. Hmm. And so the original ghouls were a heresy of magic to begin with. So we've got this mirrored heresy, which is why this division is so so uh, uh, critically bad. And again, that's another reveal for on down the road, but it gives context for the, the contention of the ghouls and the mages and then the mages between themselves as we have this division. Hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and one other thing that I wanted to bring back in that, that James had said that plays into this, I think, really heavily, for me at least, is the idea of when he was talking about where the ghouls came from and, and memory and how the older that you are, the less memory you have. And so that brings in what Adam was saying about how you can have ghouls that are totally human-like and connected and others that are sort of like shambling zombies because they're so old that they no longer are producing any newer memories and they're starting to lose the older ones and that's where your army comes in 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then, yeah, and then, like uh, David is the only person that magic doesn't drive them insane. Peter is right. the only one of the original ghouls that has re- retained his oh, kind of humanity, right? Uh, oh, exactly. Which makes him the, the kind of dark master type yeah. figure. Yeah. yeah. So like even that. though even though it seems at the beginning that he's answering to someone else and that someone else is pulling his strings, even they have no concept of who they're really dealing with. And then he he has a little bit more um, sort of gravitas at the end that yeah. that comes yeah. out that he was playing everybody from the very beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like nice. that. I like yeah, including yeah. the reader. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, I'm I'm watching the time tick down. Uh, so for this one last round around the table, as we go into this, James, James had raised the point that the ending is a little, uh, uh, the villain monologuing is, is not a desirable choice and he wants more agency for the protagonists, uh, uh, to get to that climactic bit. So I'm going to one, one time around the table, uh, uh, maybe we can just, uh, uh, spitball real quick, uh, uh, some ideas for how that ending could be, uh, uh, a more active and an engaging event. Uh, Adam, any ideas on that? Uh, I'm probably going to be a little unhelpful by suggesting that you're not going to worry about that until you reach the end. I think there's enough material in the mystery uh, for kind of four-fifths of the novel. There you go. Um, before you get to the end where you have this kind of, when you have the confrontation. Um, no, that's very helpful. Have faith yeah, in your well, story. It's kind of, yeah, well, no, that's awesome. have faith in the story. Have faith in the characters. Um, the setup is perfect in a way to avoid exposition and to avoid... Well, as you know, Bob, um, <laughs> I, am, I am the evil master from the dawn of time, kind of thing. Uh, because because it's it, the whole thing is about is about him trying to find out what was going on. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. my really unhelpful piece of advice. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's useful, I, and that's <laughs> that an important thing to keep in mind. Absolutely, Brian. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts, Bud? Um, I, I I always come back to the antagonist, and I think that you know by by the things that have been thrown out, if you take them, and again, you don't have to. Um, I think if Peter's intent comes from trying to keep David, you know, quote unquote, in the family and, and because David is special, it may give him that edge and give the ghouls that edge to, to overthrow the other side. Um, then he has motivation and, and, and is wanting to, to essentially save his people from, from the other side. And that makes him so much more dangerous and, and real and, as opposed to, you know, just, oh, I'm doing a job or whatever. And so I think that, that there's a lot of really cool stuff that came out in this. And again, use what, use what you will. But, um, but I'm always, that's, that's always my focus is, is making sure that the antagonist is not just a bad guy, yeah. um, but that he has a reason for what he does where he thinks that it's for the good, that, that it's, it is the right thing to do um, for his moral and ethical stance. Sure. And, and I think you've got a, a really cool framework for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, one of, one of the mysteries that I'd, I'd like to see David unravel is Lisa's death. Um, that seems to be the most prominent hook, uh, certainly the best emotional hook to get him into the story. Uh, uh, is is dis, is is taking on the role? It's not necessarily you know. I, yes, I want to know what happened over these seven weeks, but how did the love of my life die? Uh, and through that core mystery that he begins to unravel, 
having the things unfold and and discover these larger stories and these wheels within wheels and at your climax rather than have peter say and i've got lisa uh tucked away and i'll kill her otherwise have david find lisa and Ooh. then make the reveal that she's one of them mm-hmm. you know she's not happy to see him at all oh god you screwed up everything oh my god i can't believe you did that and 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 this this horror thing and then peter comes in uh uh or or god i don't know i don't know maybe not but but <laughs> something where that that takes him into the heart of evil uh to find his lady love and and jen's sister so eventually they become allies in this mm-hmm. and and in that discovery you know, we've got the ticking clock. You know, the clock goes off. Whatever is ticking, whatever's going on, goes on now. Mm-hmm. And boom, whatever that is happens. And then everyone's choices and actions uh, become the defining moment. It's the choice for David to decide, who are you? Are you are you a prick or are you a hero? Uh-huh. Uh, do you love Lisa or do you not? Is Jen your ally or is she using you too? Bam. And yeah. have that be a, a catalyzing moment. Yeah, yeah. So... Very cool. Oh, oh man, good <laughs> stuff, gentlemen. Wow, uh, uh, much literary gold. I'm I'm fairly tripping over it all over here. This <laughs> this was this was very very well done, um, James. Uh, here's the deal: um, uh, when you write this bad boy, uh, and whether it takes the form of a novel or an audio drama or a game, it does not matter. <laughs> um, but once this thing has become made manifest and shared with the world, we will bring you back onto the round table and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we will plaster (laughs) your, your face with a crown and a sword on our, on our round table link that we are going to build. And, and you will be lauded throughout the ages as a knight, sir. Fantastic. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Well, and James, thank you so much, man. This was, we don't have these kind of discussions unless there's genuine food to chew on. And, and you brought us a, a marvelous tale. Thank you, sir. Oh, thanks to you all too. This is fantastic. So much to work with. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Um, Adam, dude, this, your, your contributions here have been invaluable, both in terms of, of, of understanding the larger craft and just playing in this wonderful playground. We so appreciate your, your participation, your passion, and your engagement. This, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. I just want to say um, thanks for having me, but thank you to James for bringing uh, such a considerably kick-ass uh, story. <laughs> I, it's, I, good luck with that, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gratitude all around. Oh, Oh, yeah. man. Oh, Brian, where are you at, bud? Are you feeling good about this? Oh, hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, we we get excited every time that we do this, but this was one of those um, sort of diamonds in the rough that, that... is is sparkling brightly now. And, yes, I agree. Um, and, and still just, some shadowy blast, you know? and still some shadowy bits to explore, some possibilities oh, out there. Yeah. yeah. So so James, yeah. I, I I do not uh, uh, I I envy you and I do not envy you the the hours ahead as as you delve into the goodness that uh, that has been revealed here, but awesome. Awesome. And awesome. and and I would say James, make sure that you that you check the comments when this comes out. And, you know, like every day go on and take a look because I have a feeling that this one's going to really generate some conversation. Yeah, yeah. Will do. Definitely, yeah. definitely. 
Oh, good. And and as long as we're slinging gratitude like beads at Mardi Gras, um, <laughs> let's let's send out some gratitude to our our dear friends and listeners who tuned in. Uh, dudes, I hope dudes and dudettes. Sorry, uh, do want to be gender proper on all of this. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, I I really hope you had as good a time as we did on this. Um, and I know, I know, I'm, and you know who I'm looking at. There's ideas out there already. And as Brian said, um, we can continue this conversation absolutely in the comment section of the post. And geez, Brian, I've got to get down and do that darn message board. This is, this is getting, getting crazy time. So, but, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, but for now, the comment section is still there. Use that by all means. Absolutely. Uh, and, and if you're, if you're digging it, then the best way that you can, you can send Brian and I some love, uh, is by spreading the word, let the world know about the round table, uh, and the opportunities here to get awesome authors like Adam Christopher to sit down with your yes. story and, and workshop some ideas and turn it into literary gold. This, this has been absolutely awesome. Um, and, and friends, as much as all of us are going to sit back and, and have a scotch and a cigarette after all of this is done, um, this, this is not over. Uh, this particular chapter perhaps uh, will sustain in other venues, but in just a few days, this whole awesomeness begins all over again with new guest hosts, new writers bringing gold to the table for us to buff and shine and explore uh, more roundtable goodness to be had. So do tune back in in a couple of days because, man, we've got so much goodness coming down the pike for you. Uh, but until then... Brian, yes. thoughts, suggestions? Guards, guard your memory, foster your magic, and go right. Yes, absolutely. Whether it comes from technology or from madness, uh, indulge it, make it grow, uh, and seek the wonder things, because whatever you look for, friends, you will find it. So go for the blue label, go for the top shelf. Uh, the, the goodness that is out there shall be yours. Uh, we will see you all in a couple of days. Until then, uh, stay cool, be frosty, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by The Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.